0: Sahanavavatu, bhavatu, Sahana udhanaktu, Sahaviryankaravavahayam, Tejasvina vadhita mastuma vidvishavahayam, Om shanti, shanti, shanti. Twenty nine Serva Bhutas Sarvabhutani Serva Sarvabhutani Serva Bhutanichatmani Sarvabhuta Sarvabhuta Ikshade Yogi Yuktatman.
1: सर्वत्र
0: Samadarshanaha, Sarvatra Samadarshanaha, Yo Sarvatra, Sarvam Chamai Tasya Yomam, so, in these three verses, Lord Krishna described the vision of the yogi or the highest person that he sees sameness everywhere, sarvatra sama one who sees samam or sameness everywhere, where samam means same, that is the same in all the dissimilar things, which is one in many, same in dissimilar, changeless in changing, imperishable, in the perishable. The idea is that what the sense organs perceive is all dissimilar, all world of dissimilar names and forms. You also perceive that they are all many and varied. You also find that they are all changing and perishable. And so what the organs perceive is one thing and what the reality is, is just another thing. Well, what we perceive also is some kind of reality which is what we call the objective reality, satta, and that also we have to take into account the the variations, duality has to be taken into account. But then at the same time the fact is that all these duality or diversity doesn't have ultimate reality, ultimately All these duality, diversity, dissimilarity all of it resolves into one. That also has to be known. When that is known then functioning in the realm of duality is no problem. Right now the problem that we have is this this dissimilarity. The lack of sameness is our problem. Because what I perceive is all dissimilar, and separate from me, therefore my mind is going to judge something as what I like and something that I do not like. Everything is different from everything else. Therefore, depending upon my own taste, my own aptitude, I would like something and I would not like something else. Maybe I would like one skin color, and like some other skin color. I would like one kind of nose, another kind of nose, one kind of height, another kind of height, and whatever. This dissimilarity, therefore, creates in me what we call the likes and dislikes. Also, and because I see them all as different from me, therefore, some of them are going to be agreeable to me, favorable to me and some others are bound to be unfavorable to me. This also is going to happen and thereof, therefore also what I judge as favorable or useful is going to be the object of my like or attachment and whatever I see as unfavorable or not useful or unfavorable particularly is going to become an object of dislike. In short is likes and dislikes is going to happen in the realm of duality. As long as a person looks upon the duality, dissimilarity as real, so long there is bound to be likes and dislikes. Also because the world is separate from me and I am separate from the world, therefore I am a small little entity and therefore I am bound to suffer from a sense of insecurity. The insecurity also will create likes and dislikes because whatever seems to provide me comfort becomes an object of like, whatever provides or threatens me becomes an object of dislike. Therefore the relationships are, all my interactions are going to be preceded by this likes and dislikes. Therefore it's so important to recognize that in and through all the dissimilarity, in fact there is a similarity. In and through the many. That is the one. In and through the perishable, that is the imperishable. It is so impo- this is what, in fact, is the subject matter of Vedanta, which says that Sarvam khalu idam Brahma, all this indeed is Brahma. All of this is limitless, all of this is imperishable, meaning that it is the manifestation of one limitless, imperishable reality, Tattvamasi, which, in fact, is my own self. And therefore, this is now the knowledge of the wise person. As I said, the reason why the knowledge is the horizon is because he has settled account of his own self. There is first of all a clarity about who I really am. And we recognize that this body, the mind, sense organs, this complex in fact is not the self that I am the witness of this, I am the perceiver, I am the knower, and therefore I am different from them. And that this witness consciousness that I am really has no form, no attribute, and therefore no limit. As a result of the teaching, when one recognizes the true nature of oneself, then it is very easy to see that everywhere the consciousness that I am is a consciousness everywhere, because everything, then, I see as a combination of what we call Purusha and Prakriti, the self and non-self, as Lord Krishna says, and Kshetra. Yavat sanjayatekinci, sattvam sthavarajangam, Kshetra Kshitragya seyogat, tad viddi bharata shabha. Here you understand that whatever is created and whatever exists has these two aspects, kshetrajna and Kshetra, the consciousness and matter. What we perceive is the material vesture which manifests the consciousness self, which in fact is one and equal. Sarvhuta sthitam yama bhajati ekattva ma So one abiding in this ekattva or oneness that obtains in all the beings as his own self, he is, Lord Krishna says. A liberator said, Sarvatha <clears throat> vartamanapi sayogi me vartate. However, he or she conducts himself, it does not matter. What matter is what perception or what vision he has, not what conduct he has. Meaning, Lord Krishna says that a person's wisdom is not to be judged by the conduct. Although I think we would like to judge it that way, but Lord Krishna says, However he conducts himself, he still always abides in me. He is never apart from me. <clears throat> As we said in the morning, this appears like giving a license to the wise person. The scriptures also say that wise person is no more now under also the command even of the scriptures. Otherwise, scriptures tell us what is right and what is wrong, what should be done, what should not be done. And everybody is then obliged to follow those stipulations. And those stipulations are there for our own good. When the Upanishad Veda says that, do this, that means that doing that is in your best interest, is for your well-being. And don't do that, means that if you do that, you are going to hurt yourself. That is how by the do's and don'ts the Veda, the scriptures in fact tell us how to help us and how to not hurt, hurt ourselves. But all of this is only in the realm of ignorance. These things, in fact do not apply to the wise person because he does not anymore look upon himself as an individual separate from other things. As we say, he no more has the sense of doership and therefore he is no more under the the spell under the control of these do's and those or within nisheda, which is what is meant by saying that in whichever he conducts himself still he is never away from me. <coughs> then Lord Krishna are you giving a license to this wise person to behave in whichever way he wants? Lord Krishna says no he will not do that. This apparently this is only to praise the knowledge that this is said to praise the knowledge look at the glory of this knowledge that look at the glory of this wisdom that doesn't matter what the person does still, he never is deviated from his wisdom he never gets deviated from his knowledge that that I am Brahman and that everything is Brahman and to praise that knowledge Lord Krishna said that in whichever way he conducts himself he still is okay but how does he actually conduct himself? That is said in the verse 32. Atma upam yena sarvatra Atma upam yena sarvatra Samam pasyati Sukham Sayogi paramo matah, Sayogi paramo matah. Āatmu pa'myena sarvatra, samumpashyati Ojana Yaha sarvatra samumpashyati. One who sees the same everywhere, Āatmu pa'myena, by making himself as a standard of judgment, as a measuring rod. So Lord Krishna says, the wise person sees everything by placing himself, by making himself as a standard. Sukham in case of happiness or unhappiness, the wise person makes himself as a very standard. What does it mean? It means simple as this. Just as Sukham or happiness is something that I like, so also others also like happiness. And just as I do not like unhappiness or sorrow or pain, so also others do not like unhappiness or sorrow or pain. Simple as that. Or it can be said other way also. That whenever, whenever interacting with the world, whenever interacting with anybody, the wise person places himself in the position of other, and then decides how to act, how, what, what kind of a response would I expect if I was in that position? <clears> Atma <throat> upama. Placing himself as a very standard. Therefore, whenever he interacts with anybody, first of all, he treats that person as nothing but his own self. There is something spontaneous for the wise person. And it would be equivalent to saying that, how do we emulate him? As I said, the reason why Lord Krishna describes wise person in many places is so that what is spontaneous or what is effortless for that person is a value to be cultivated with effort. Since wise person knows that I am the self of all, and therefore he treats everything as he would treat himself, because he does not see difference between himself and anybody else. By saying that, Lord Krishna also is giving as though a direction or guideline to everybody. Sayogi Yogi Matah. in my opinion, Lord Krishna says he is the most exalted Yogi. Meaning that everyone can become a most exalted Yogi simply by doing this, while interacting with anybody, using myself as the very standard. As I said, if I were in that position, what kind of a behavior would I expect? And this is, as Swami will point out, the very basis of all the Dharma or what they call the common sense values or the universal values. This is the basis of all the values. Nonviolence becomes a value. Why is nonviolence a value? Because I would never want to hurt myself and I would not want anyone else to hurt me also. I want to live and live happily. I do not want anyone to come in the way of my freedom to pursue my life and living happily. And similarly, I know that others also want to live and live happily. And that they also do not want me to come in their way of their pursuit of freedom and happiness. This is a very simple thing. This is what forms the basis of ahimsa or non-violence. So ideally, what is a non-violent behavior? Is the kind of behavior that I would do to myself. Just as I'm always ready. (coughs) I'm always ready to in fact make sure that I do not have any pain or unhappiness. I'm always ready, always trying or always exerting to make sure that I never become unhappy. At the same time, I always make an effort to make sure that I become happy. So as far as I'm concerned, my effort always is to see that I am happy and to see that I am not unhappy. Then wise person also does the same thing to other person, makes an effort to see that other person is not unhappy and makes an effort to see that other person is happy. So understand that non-violence is not really a negative value or a passive value, it becomes a very dynamic value. Non-violence does not stop merely at not hurting somebody. But then, non-violence is the kind of treatment that I show to myself. How? I'm all, I always make an effort to avoid pain. So, prapti, to avoid the pain and to pursue happiness, I always make an effort for myself a real non-violent person would be, not only that the person would not hurt others, but just as for himself he would make an effort to secure happiness and so also he would make an effort to secure happiness for others also. So this is how non-violence does not merely mean I do not hurt others, which is great of course. Even not hurting others also is great. The simple rule is that we should not do unto others what we do not want others to do to us. It arises from this. So we can see ultimately how these values of non-violence or truthfulness all of these are based on non-duality. That there is only one self. One without a second. That forms the basis of all the values. Even truthfulness. Yoga Shastra prescribes these five values first is non-violence then truthfulness and non-stealing and non-indulgence and non-holding etc. but really all of these are nothing but one value non-violence because whenever I tell a lie I am violating somebody else's right and therefore it amounts to violence whenever I steal then also I am violating somebody's right it is violence Whenever I indulge then I am violating myself also. Whenever indulge meaning that, whenever I I go out of my boundaries, eating, drinking, doing anything, then I am actually hurting myself. As I say, one teenager was one asked, once asked me, Swami, how come all Swamis always talk about uh, They seem to have some kind of... Why why do they say that we should not have fun in our life? Why do they always seem to uh, talk about discipline and restraint and stuff like that? What's wrong with having pleasure, fun in life? What's wrong with having... I mean enjoying life? I said, no Vedantin will say you don't enjoy life. Vedanta doesn't say you should not enjoy life. I said, only thing you should see is, while enjoying the life, make sure that you do not hurt yourself. So, whereas your capacity is to eat three chapatis, and because the food is good and therefore you wind up eating six chapatis, that means that you are hurting yourself. So, whenever we indulge, meaning that whenever we exceed the boundaries, you know, then we are hurting ourselves. So, therefore, Brahmacharya, Brahmacharya means a life of self-control, is meant for preventing hurt to ourselves. And therefore, ahimsa or non-violence becomes a primary value. Therefore, here, Shankarajal interprets this value as non-violence. Ahimsa-gaha ityartha A wise person is ahimsa ka. He is a non-violent person. He will never violate anybody. He will never hurt anybody. But Swamiji, I mean, you know, I think we have seen some people hurting also. Well, what happens is, sometimes you have to hurt in order to help. Now, that's a different matter. Sometimes, you have to hurt in order to help. Like the common example that we give is a mother. When the child is sick and mother has to administer medicine, then child doesn't want the medicine because it is bitter and mother makes sure that this fellow consumes medicine therefore when the child runs away as mother reaches out for the medicine cabinet and takes out that bottle of bitter medicine the child sees runs away she'll chase him and catch hold of him and if still he does not cooperate then she puts him in his lap and you know uh, takes that spoon in her hand he still does not cooperate, she'll press his nose, his mouth opens, and she pushes the medicine. This looks like a very cruel act, at least from the standpoint of the child. And there is some cruelty, I guess, here, maybe, from the standpoint of the child, but that also is meant for the well-being of the child. And therefore, as far as the intention is concerned, a person, a wise person, <coughs> would never want to hurt, why would you want to hurt anybody? We wind up hurting people only because we become subject to our impulses such as anger or greed. So whenever a person acts out of anger or greed, then his action is going to be violent. But here's a person who has resolved all those impulses. And therefore, one who has a complete mastery over his mind. That is the case, he's not subject to, he doesn't there have any personal agenda also. anger comes whenever somebody comes in the way of my fulfillment of my personal agenda. I want to accomplish something, you come in my way, I get angry. But if there is nothing to accomplish, if I want to reach a certain destination and I am rushing fast and we're red, these traffic lights are red, I get angry. If somebody cuts me off, I get angry. Because I want to reach a destination, or I have to reach destination in a certain time. But if I'm driving, no destination to reach, and no time to make, traffic red light, okay, stand there, watch around, you know, how people are fretting and this, you know, you can watch everybody. Somebody cuts you off, then also says, okay. You know how smart the fellow is, you can enjoy. People are smart, no doubt about that. And if you want to see how smart people are while driving on the... You have to go to India. They are really smart. And what risks they take? Inches distance, but they, they maneuver their vehicles. You can enjoy all of this if you have no agenda. We can't enjoy this thing because I have to reach and all this becomes a nuisance to me. But if, as I said, there is no agenda. Mind is completely at leisure. and there is no need to hurt anybody because hurting somebody the question comes only when I have a sudden agenda. That alone is called a wise person who has no agenda as we discussed this morning that he has no need to exercise his free will he is completely given to the force of destiny and therefore he takes a life as it comes without any reaction. Therefore he is ahimsaka meaning he is non-violent person in the primary sense. As far as the Aspirants or seekers are concerned that we try to practice this value, which is a difficult thing to practice. But for us to become this paramayogi Yogi or Great Yogi, Lord Krishna shows a method. Place yourself in the condition of the other person, Atma Let Atma, the self, do upama. As you said, may I become the standard for treating other people and i place myself in the condition of the person and ask myself how would i like to be treated if i was in that condition and i know that i would like to be always treated in a very kind way even if i may commit a fault i would like somebody else to forgive me that is why forgiveness kindness automatically become value they are all part of non violence so yogi that's all we need to try, to become great yogis, nothing else is required. Although this will require everything of course, but then, this is worth trying. Every time, what happens is, of course, when we are on the spur of the moment, all this is forgotten. But one thing we can do, every day we get provoked, that is how the life is, people provoke us. We get angry, we get upset. But usually, there are some standard reasons for provocation, you know. Every day I get angry, essentially the same people. Same pattern generally repeats. It's my boss, a certain colleague, the spouse, my child, this neighbor. Some people every day do this. And every day we get upset. So I suggest that every day we can meditate for 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and visualize those encounters that, okay, when I go to work, my boss will do this, this colleague will do this, the secretary will do this, when I come home, the spies will do this, the child comes from school, that fellow will do this. And a few people every day do things and every day we get upset. Then you can plan. And decide a strategy. Rehearse. <laughs> this is happening. And then, how am I going to act? That way, we can prepare ourselves. And still we will forget. But if this is every day, slowly and slowly, the mind then will remember, wait a minute, I am not supposed to do that. I am supposed to do that. But this, thus, this helps us keeping our impulses under check. And that's how we can avoid the violence or hurting other people but non-violence is the primary value all the value is nothing but many expressions of non-violence alone <clears throat> so understand bhagavad gita teaches non-violence some people say that look lord krishna says to arjuna tasmad yudhyasva bharada, therefore hey hey Arjuna therefore you stand up and fight so Bhagavad Gita seems to be teaching violence because Arjuna is asked to fight but that's not so when Lord Krishna says hey Arjuna you rise and fight it means you perform your duty Arjuna's duty happens to be to fight this battle therefore it is fighting but you perform the duty not only really that, but before you fight, make sure that you have this disposition of mind, and then you fight. Very in the beginning, in the second chapter itself, Lord Krishna said, Sukha labha tato yuddha naivam pāpam Arjuna said that, Lord, I will find this better, I will kill these people, I will be a great sinner. He says, if you do this, then even fighting this battle, in case people get killed by you, so it will not be a papa or a sin, if you have this disposition of mind. And what is that? Sukha treat pleasure and pain as equal. Lab alabo, train gain and loss as equal. Jaya jayao, treat victory and defeat as equal. Meaning that you are fighting battle not for victory. For dharma. Not for gain. For dharma. Not for pleasure. For dharma. If victory, gain or dharma, if that becomes your agenda, then it will be violent action. Because I am likely to compromise the means for the sake of the end. And ever, to be non-violent also, it is important that we do not compromise means for the sake of the end. Because if the end is kept, that is why Lord Krishna says, may you give up your attachment to the result of action. Meaning that for the sake of securing a certain outcome, do not compromise means. Make sure that you follow this dharma or the universal values and then whatever comes, as a little dog that honest effort, accept it gracefully. It is not that people who follow dharma will necessarily not attain their goal, they will. There seems to be a wrong conclusion that if you follow righteousness, you can never make it. That's not right also. But in any case, even if you make something, it's not going to be worthwhile. It is not going to a blessing to you. It is going to be a curse to you and therefore, therefore, non-violence also requires me to practice my values and not compromise means for the sake of I so therefore, this verse was specifically stated by Lord Krishna, because in earlier verse, Lord Krishna said that, however this wise person conducts, he is, he always abides in me. Therefore now, this verse tells us the working of the mind of the wise person, that he always treats everybody else as his own self. And how he treat himself, that's how he treats others, treats others. In fact, another thing is that, since wise person is also, he knows Ishvara as his own self, therefore, in fact, he is always in harmony with the order. Ishvara, order is the manifestation of Ishvara, and therefore, when the wise person knows Ishvara as his own self, he knows order as his own self, he is always in harmony with the order. So, whatever he does he is going to be in keeping the order it will be in keeping with the dharma. As far as the seekers are concerned, then they should follow the order, and primarily the order of non-violence, which is possible when I place myself in the position of the other person, whenever I interact with the other person. And this is how, in fact, the chapter of Dhyana Yoga is complete. Whatever Lord Krishna had to say, about yoga of meditation, of gaining an abidance in the self, is all complete. And the chapter would have come to a conclusion here. But again Arjuna asks a question. If Arjuna did not ask this question, this is where the chapter would have concluded. But Arjuna asks a question, a very practical question. So let us go to the next verse, verse 33. Arjuna Uvacha Yo Yam Yogastoya Prokta Sam Yena Madhusudana Sam Yena Madhusudana Eta Siaham Nepashyami Changel at last Ajuna you know, said. In fact, questioning Lord Krishna, how is it possible? Lord Krishna you are saying that the one ekatvamasitaha, one abiding in oneself. Bajatiekatvamastitaha, one abiding in the vision of oneness, how is it possible? Yoyam Yoga Twa praktiha Samyena Oh Lord, this yoga, Sarvatra Samadrusti Rakshana, you say that this yoga is of the vision or the knowledge of seeing the same self, seeing the self everywhere, seeing everything as equal. In all the inequalities, seeing everything as equal. Because, as we say, Brahman or Ishvara is the self of all, the consciousness is the self of all. And that way, everything, everybody is equal. All living beings are equal in as much as same consciousness, which is I, is the Self of all. As a matter of fact, for the wise person, even insentient beings also are equal because the same intelligence, same intelligence manifests the same consciousness manifests as this world of sentient and insentient beings. And just as, in Goldsmith, <laughs> very clearly you knows that all the ornaments are the manifestation of one gold and so also consciousness or Atma is the material cause that alone manifests in the whole universe, and that's myself. But this yoga of seeing the same self everywhere, samyana, which seeing is possible only when my mind is completely free from all the pairs of oppositions namely likes and dislikes. And only when it is, when my mind has, is free from every disturbance, mind has gained the capacity to be able to focus on this oneness. Meaning when the mind has been able to drop every like and dislike, mind has been able to drop every role and is able to then focus on this oneness of the self everywhere. Lord Krishna, you know what it requires? I do not see how this is possible. I do not see how it is possible that the mind can ever become free from all likes and dislikes, all pairs of opposites. Mind can become really so pure that, it is so accommodative that, all no differences count at all. See, to the wise person, no differences count at all. It does not matter whether this person is a friend or a foe. Remember earlier it was said, Surun Mitra, Samabuddhir So wise person is Samabuddhi, he sees all of them as equal. Whether he is a benefactor, he is a friend, he is an enemy, he is neutral, he is a well wisher, he is a You know, he is a a puppy, a sinner, or a saint, doesn't matter what he is. In his vision, everybody is equal. You know what it means? It means that the mind should be able to set aside the effects created by all the differences. How can you treat everybody as equal? When inequality has no effect on your mind at all, that this person hates me, and this person loves me, how can I look upon both of them as equal, when hatred and love doesn't affect me at all? That hatred also does not affect my love, and therefore I am not partial to somebody, or not cruel to somebody. What an amount of poise, what an amount of purity, what an amount of uh, equanimity this mind requires in order for me to gain this vision and even if I gain it momentarily to gain an abidance in the wisdom, says sthetim sthiram. To retain this vision for a length of time, I do not say this is ever possible. Arjuna says that Lord Krishna what you said is great but I do not, it's actually he questions. I do not see this ever possible at all. Why, Arjuna? What's the problem? Chanchalatvat manasaha. Because of the chanchalatvam, because of the restlessness of the mind. Oh Lord the mind is restless, and therefore, I do not see how this vision or abundance in the vision is possible, where the mind must be completely resolved. Mind must be totally accommodative. Mind must not react at all to. To whether he is a whether he is a saint or a sinner, mind is no flicker of reaction. <coughs> whether he is an enemy or a friend, no reaction. Whether he is a saint or a sinner, no reaction. Whether it he helps me or hurts me, no reaction at all. A totally non-reacting mind, a totally accepting mind, a totally accommodating mind, in fact a totally loving mind. That love must be so unconditional that no conditions matter at all. Lord Krishna, how is it possible? How can you ever acquire a mind like that? I don't think that anybody can be like that who possesses, who, who has this mind. Chanchalatvat, on account of the chanchalatvam, the restlessness of the mind. And you know. That mind is restless. Arjuna says that in the next verse. He describes the chanchalatvam, or the restlessness or unsteadiness of the mind, little more elaborately in the next verse. Chanchalam himanah krishna. Chanchalam himanah krishna. Pramathibala vadradham. Pramathibala Tasyaham nigraham anye. Vāyurīvasu Dhuṣkaram Arjuna is very sincere and very honest and his difficulty he is presenting before Lord Krishna, before the teacher. So they said that before the Guru <coughs> and before Vaidya means because a physician you must be open. You cannot hide things there, you know, otherwise uh, they won't be able to help you. <coughs> so Arjuna is very open. Either Arjuna is describing the condition of his mind or Arjuna is describing the condition of a mind of an ordinary person. I do not think personally that Arjuna's mind is like this. For the simple reason that Arjuna is a highly accomplished person. You might all remember also the story from Mahabharata. When Pandavas and Kauravas, all the princes, when they were all trained, they completed their training from the Guru Dronacharya. Then, the Guru actually conducted a test for all of them. And on a tree, on a particular branch of the tree at the end, one bird was kept there. And the test was to pierce the right eye of that bird. So one by one, the princess came forward. And Dronacharya would ask each one of them. So what do you see? I see the tree and I see the branch and I see this and I see sit down. When Bhim said, What do you see? I say, Duryodhana, I say, Sit down. everybody, you know. When Arjuna came, What do you see? I see the tree. You mean the whole tree? No, sir. I just see the branch. The whole branch? No. Just the tip of the branch. The tip of the branch? No. Just that bird. You mean the whole bird? No. Just two eyes. Two eyes? Both nice, no, just right. Eye. Shoot. That's how Arjuna shot the arrow. So that shows what a power of concentration Arjuna had. He was a very highly accomplished person, was well known. Arjuna was a very hard working uh, person also. Therefore, Dranatarya was a little partial to his sonashvatama. So along with Pandavas and Kauravad, Ashwatthama also was learning the arts of, you know, this archery and everything else. And what Dronacharya would do is, when all the princes are taking, in the, the, doing their morning rituals and taking bath etc., that time Dronacharya would give a special lesson to this Ashwatthama. What Arjuna would is, he would rush quickly, before everybody else? Finish his bath and be ready when Dronachari is giving the lesson to Ashwatthama. This is how he was. So I don't think that this is description of his mind. Really. But anyway, whether description of his mind or description of a mind, but I am sure that this description much resonates with us because what he describes here seems to be very familiar. He, is Prasiddhi, the oh Lord is well known chan chalam krishna For whatever reason, here, Shankaracharya in the vahashya, gives a meaning of word Krishna. Usually he doesn't spend time with this kind of things. But Krishna, Shankaracharya explains that, word Krishna, is derived from root Krish. In the, the krush, in the sense of pulling. You know, krushi means agriculture. And so, Vilekaram. So, pulling. So, Krishna is the one who pulls or removes all the pain and all the sorrow and all the ignorance from his devotees. Or akashadi Dadati, or the one who imparts all the good qualities and blessings to the devotees. Both the meanings are there. So, Krishna means one who removes the pain and sorrow of the devotees and the one also who grants all the happiness and goodness to the devotees. So Arjuna addresses Lord Krishna as Krishna here. Chanchalam himana Krishna. Oh Krishna you know this. You know my difficulty. You describe the Samya Yoga which is the most wonderful thing. It is really so great, so inspiring And even just to know that this is there, that there can be a person who abides in the vision of sameness, vision of oneness, in whose perception there is no difference whatever. All the superficial differences do not count. What counts to that person is what the essence, in essence everything is that in essence, everything is consciousness, everything is Brahman, or everything is divine. That's all that counts and doesn't matter what the personality is, what matters is just the person. That vision is so, is so great and is so inspiring that I would love to do that. So Lord Krishna, you have to help me. Two ways. First of all, remove all the very obstacles, my mind itself seems to be an obstacle. In fact, Lord Krishna said this earlier, Ātmaiva Ātmana bandhu Ātmaiva iripuhatmana Your own self, your own mind can be your friend or your own mind also can be your enemy. Which mind is friend? There also Lord Krishna said, the mind that has been brought under control is a friend and the mind that is not under your control acts as your own enemy. So, Lord, right now my own mind seems to act as my enemy. Um, because it is subject to all these impulses. It says, Chanchalam Himanah Krishna. Hey Krishna, my mind is Chanchalam. Atishay Chalam. Very restless. Chanchalam and Chanchalam. Chanchalam is very restless. Pramathi. Turbulent. Mind is not only restless or unsteady, but it's turbulent. Sometimes the mind is such that it takes hold of the sense organs of the body, and I have no control over anything, mind does what it wants to do. Balabhat, it is very strong. drudham it is very obstinate. Obstinate, once it decides to do something, it will do it. Regardless, of, I can't even reason with it. Like sometimes our children, you know, if they have decided that they want something, that's what, then they want it. We always advise parents, you know, always to reason with the children. Swami, you don't know. Reason with the children. We reason with them. They come back. But, you know, with all the reason, he comes, but mom, may I have this? But this is no good for, but may I have it? Once decided, then that is what they want and that's why once mind has made its mind, then that's what it wants, nothing else. And Balavat, it is very strong. It's difficult to pull it out. When the mind engages itself in the thinking of some object, I can't bring it back. And it just creates turbulence in me. It completely shakes me up. So mind is restless, unsteady, creates turbulence. Shakes, shakes entirely my personality. It is strong. It is obstinate. Tasyaham nigraham To make this mind completely single-pointed. To make this mind completely resolved. Meaning all the restlessness is gone. All the obstinacy is gone. Everything is gone. And mind becomes completely a friend. Right now the mind as it is, seems to be a great enemy of me because he doesn't seem to cooperate at all. I want to do one thing and mind has its own mind, it has its own as in the endeavor. it does what it wants to do. Sometimes I my mind, come on fellow, ram, come. repeat, ram, 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 ram. He repeats a few times and then runs away. So when I start Hanuman Chalisa, I know the first line, and then I know the last line. In between, I don't even know. My, either Hanuman Chalisa is over, but then I don't know. I, I realize at the end of the, of the whole chant. Because mind seems to have its own agenda. Tasyaham <coughs> For, for doing what you say, O Lord, what I need is nigraham, a complete mastery over the mind. The ability to completely dissolve the mind. And unless I am able to do that, this vision of samyam or oneness is not possible at all. So he, he expresses frustration. So when we hear something most wonderful, how wonderful Mount Everest is and I a wonderful description, and then you say, oh, I can't climb, I can't do that. <clears throat> Very frustrating. And so also Arjuna seems to express as though his frustration. I think that the nigraha, controlling the mind, is more difficult than even controlling wind. Nobody can control wind anyway. But even if you could control wind, so vāyoho as dushkaram, as difficult it is to control the wind, so difficult or more difficult not, I think that it is to control the mind but you are Krishna, therefore I am sure you can do that. So please help me and remove all these various obstacles which are in my mind. Remove all my restlessness, remove all my unsteadiness, remove all the obstacles and grant me a mind that can get completely resolved, can get abidance in the self. Because this yoga that you told me is exactly what I want. but well, That's what, as I said, is nothing but moksha. And that's what I want. And so Arjuna is presenting a very practical difficulty and Lord Krishna replies in the next verse, verse 35. Shri Bhagavan Mahābāho Manodur Nigraham Chalam, Manodur Nigraham Chalam, Abhyasena to countaya, Abhyasena to countaya, Vairagena chagrhiate, Vairagena chagrhiate. See Arjuna's question and his difficulty is very valid because there is no choice. We have to be able to master our mind, it's necessary. Not necessarily only for self-knowledge, in fact it's necessary to live our I mean, day-to-day life also. Even to live our day-to-day life also, it is necessary that our mind should be essentially in our control. Meaning, mind should be helpful to me, favorable to me, mind should be my friend. Because whenever I come under the spell of something like an like anger, or jealousy, or resentment, or grief, at that time I am no more what I am really. I become a different person. I become a demon. I become an animal. I do not even remain a human being, let alone a noble person. Because. This anger then rules my mind and thus makes me behave in a manner which is most unbecoming, which I always regret later on. So all our knowledge, all our culture, all our training, all of this does not become available to us whenever we cannot control our mind. The idea is that all the wisdom that we have, even if you have the knowledge, let us say is not possible in case one gains the knowledge of self then also that will not really benefit me unless that knowledge is, is applied in practice. And ultimately it has to apply only through the mind. So in the management also we emphasize and understand that it is one thing to acquire all the hard skills as to how to do things. But the soft skill of having the mind available to me is most important because ultimately all my knowledge and skills have to be expressed through my mind. And if I cannot control my mind, then all my capabilities are of no use to me. As in the case of Arjuna also. Arjuna was a great warrior and he was capable of fighting this battle. He had all the resources and capabilities. But then his mind was not available to him because he became, he became sad. He was stricken with grief and therefore lost All his energy lost all his motivation. He couldn't do anything. So Arjuna, who is such a great warrior, also was not even able to hold his bow. He could not even stand. He had to sit down. Then what to talk of anybody else? Therefore, understanding and mastering the mind becomes very, very important. That is why, Arjuna's question is very relevant. Because not only Arjuna, everybody has to cultivate this mind. Then alone, this knowledge will be useful. First of all, we cannot even understand the scriptures unless our mind enjoys a certain (coughs) composure and certain maturity. And secondly, that even if you somehow understood that, that understanding will not be of any practical use unless the mind is available to put that understanding in practice. And so a common complaint about people attending Vedanta classes. Common complaint from the spouses who are not attending classes. Because those who do not attend the class have always to have some justification of why they are not attending. Because Swamiji after attending class also for so many years look at my husband. Oh, look at my wife, whatever. What, is, what changes happen? So unless these persons are aware that we have to work with our mind, because mind is the instrument through which we express ourselves, and therefore unless we have worked with our mind and cleaned it up, as I say, you know, until then, all our wisdom, we are, we are great in, in, you know, Swamiji when he gives me lectures that is something else he always advises me at home and he always quotes Gita but when it comes to his own (laughs) behaviour because when he is in his right mind then he he is a learned person no doubt about that but when he is not in his right mind then all learning seems to disappear it is everybody's problem and therefore Lord Krishna also says Mm -hmm. asam shayam mahabaho Manaha Durnigraham Chalam. he Mahabahu. Oh, Arjuna. What you say is right. Asam there is no doubt that mind is Durnigraham. It is extremely difficult to control. Chalam, that it is restless. And you also, we should also understand other adjectives Arjuna use. Balabat Durnam. It is very strong, very obstinate, is unsteady, restless and extremely difficult to control, Arjuna, there is no doubt about that. Swamiji considers this statement very important. Lord Krishna acknowledges that indeed mind is like this. Which means that we should also acknowledge that this is how the mind is. That mind is restless, mind is unsteady, it is difficult to focus. It is difficult to focus or it is difficult to retain the focus also. That's because mind in no time jumps from one topic to the other or from one subject to the other. attention span is a very difficult thing. Attention span. And therefore, these Vedanta classes, when they stretch out beyond one hour, become very difficult because you know, even one hour itself is too long. Attention span. Because it requires our mind to be very alert and then, Apply our intellect all along because it's it's quite a demanding discipline. People get tired exhausted at the end of the class, you know, they have to go to the dining hall right away, have a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so Lord assumption. So our Swami says that first step is to recognize that this is how the mind is and not blame the mind and not blame ourselves for it. Not feeling a sense of shame or a sense of guilt or a sense of shame because the mind is like that. It is the nature of mind. Says that is half the vital one. Because usually we keep on feeling very shameful because our mind is restless and because I cannot control my mind, because there is anger in my mind, because there are in my mind and therefore I am very ashamed of myself. I very often blame myself also for, for having this kind of mind. So Swamiji says that let us acknowledge and accept that this is how the mind is. There is no reason to feel ashamed of it. There is no reason to blame myself or anybody for that and accept it as it is. Also, manaha duranigraham that it is rather or it it is extremely difficult to bring the mind to master the mind that also let us acknowledge that it is difficult to master the mind. And that it is not only my difficulty it is how the mind in general is meaning that whoever has a mind has this difficulty. When this is done then at least we start from a very objective basis because if we do not accept ourselves because the mind is restless or unsteady, I I cannot focus, when I do not accept that mind, I do not accept myself, then itself it puts me in a very disadvantageous position and therefore I need not congratulate myself because my mind is restless, I am not saying that nor should I blame myself or feel ashamed of myself. So, okay, this is how the mind is. So, Lord Krishna first acknowledges. In the second line, tells us how to bring this mind under mastery. Tu, however, Arjuna, Abhyasena da kaunteya, Vairaginasi gruhyate. Tu means however. Arjuna, it is true that it is extremely difficult to master the mind. However, Abhyasena, by what is called Abhyasa, Vairāgya, what is called Vairāgya, it is possible to bring the mind under control. It can be done. So what is required is what is the upaya? For solving every problem, there must be upaya or a means. We should know that. Sometimes that is more important than even, you know, you sometimes try very hard, in opening something and closing something and try all your strength, nothing works. All it needs is a little thing, you know. Sometimes a little thing we do not know and we work, you know, we we strive so hard. Similarly also, dealing with everything is always a way of doing things. Similarly, in dealing with the mind also, Lord Krishna says that you should know what's upaya, what's the method or means of bringing this mind under control, abhyāsa and vairagya. This is what Lord Krishna prescribes here. In fact, that is what is prescribed in Yoga Shastra also. There's sutra in Yoga Shastra which talks about, Abhyasain and Vairāgya. We'll continue our discussion tomorrow. <clears throat> Om Pūrṇamada Pūrṇamidam Pūrṇā Pūrṇamudachyade Pūrṇasya Pūrṇamādāya Pūrṇam eva-vasyade Om Shānte Shānte Shāntehi Sankaram keshavam badarayanam sutra bhashya krutau vanne bhagavantau puna ishvaro gururaatme re murti bheda vyoma vadyapt dehayah dakshinamurtaye namaha om shanteshah te Hare O Sri Gupta Hari oh, Hare O oh.